Pigweed here. Today we review an amber ale and discuss the suburbs. Hello and welcome to Beer and Conversation with Pigweed in Crow Hill. Good evening, Crow Hill. Good evening, Pigweed. And there's an extra clink. So much clinking going on. Well, well, well. Every once in a while, we need a third voice. And who else do we turn to? Longinus shows up again to help out. Longinus, welcome, welcome, welcome. And we brought you in for this topic because you know a thing or two about this topic. Yes, he does. But before we get there, can you do a thing or two about this everyday beer? So everyday amber... Is um, who's this by? It's from Baltimore. Yep. Enjoy a smooth drinking amber ale, five point seven percent, which is you know it's funny back in the back in the older days, an average beer would be you know four and a half little. Nowadays it's it's creeping up. The well, average ha- beer is getting a so little. So you you said we you couldn't find a, a Colt forty five for our last review. Yeah. You found one. And it's only 5.6. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Like, this, is, this is stronger. Right. But 30 years ago. That was supposed to be a strong beer. That was beer. a strong beer. Yeah. That was a strong beer. And now, now yes. Yeah, so now an everyday amber. is 5.7. Right. I used to have like the uh, Mickey's Malt Liquor. There you yeah, go. Yeah. You big know. Mouth. That was a little big high. Mouth. The Big Mouth. Right. Mickey's Big Mouth. You're in the Big Dig, Mouth. Take it, take it, <laughs> get, it, get it down a little faster. Right. <laughs> so right. what's the brewery here? So that's Oliver's, right? Uh, oh, downtown, Oliver's. Right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's walking distance to my house. Yeah. All right. There you go. Everyday amber. So, uh, not not as amber colored as I would expect it to be, but reasonable. I just recently brewed a homebrew mm-hmm. amber, and mm-hmm. I just recently drank one like five minutes ago. So this so one, this one, to, in my opinion, just a touch sharper on the hops, not hoppier. But just a touch sharper in a way. You, you, you know what I'm saying? What, then the, then my homebrew? Yeah. Y- yes, but it, it's flavor-wise, it's right down. Very, I think, very similar. I, I think very I'm right similar, down yeah. the middle. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, there's a slight hop difference. I think there's a, a similar mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, well, good. I'm, yeah, I like I feel, your I feel like I, This is very good, but I feel like the one that I brewed was true to style, if this is true to style, which I believe it is. Yeah, and and uh, it was a good one. That was one that you brewed for uh, my daughter's wedding. That's right. We call I call that the Nashville Amber. There you go, <laughs> Nashville Amber. That was a good one. All right. So everyday Amber versus Nashville Amber. They're both uh, both fine beers. Here, here. Boy, oh boy. All right. So this is such a big topic. So you we... forgot to ask me what was on my mind. Oh gosh. How do we skip back? I went right through that. So I have this somewhat of a conflict of conscience about I you know, I'm a free market, small government kind of a guy. Yes. However, I recognize that there are times when, like for example, a, an unplanned city is is sometimes a catastrophic mess. You know, you have this like if things, a planned city, the, the whole idea of some genius sitting down and planning something oh, revolts me. I well, hate that, the idea. Yeah, reminded, yeah, just think of the Soviet Union. Right. The idea that some bunch of ninnies from the this homeowners is, this association. This is how people should live. Yeah, exactly. We're going to plan how, shut up. You know, let things, let people live their some, lives. Right, right? A, city, a city that has developed organically yeah. seems to have a little more character. It, but however, however, at the ahead. same time, at the same time, <laughs> Columbia is an interesting, that's a planned city. Greenbelt is a planned city. And, is, and you know, that's, that's really serious uh, government because that was designed by the federal government. So, 
I, on the one hand, or just I, just not full blown planning, just keeping keeping check on. All right, it can't be entirely organic. Yes. All right, easy yeah, yeah, over yeah. there. Too much industrial here. Right. Exactly. I don't want I don't want somebody to be able to put a factory next to my house. Yeah. I mean, so there's some level zoning and all those kind of things are appropriate, but this there's this conflict between. Do you let the guy next door paint his house pink and have a rundown fence? You know, so this, and and then uh-huh. isn't it nice to have jogging trails and, and a yeah. pool and other kinds of things? So, the the sort of conflict between organization and planning and just letting people do what they want to do. That's I that's the, that's the question that I have. And, and and that's that has been probably one of the perennial questions throughout um, urban development ever since cities have been created. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand BC. <laughs> We started seeing that uh, uh, happening and occurring that, you know, where you put the guardrails and the rules on there. I mean, we could talk about Baltimore, but we won't talk about, you know, well, 1790s, Baltimore becomes an independent city that is allowed to govern itself, that is allowed to pass its own laws. And you start to see uh, regulations on wharf so so you make sure that the ships can still come into right. the city yeah. the streets are, are clean that the streets are laid out you right. start to make sure that you know somebody's outhouse isn't right next to the the water brewery. supply right, right. <laughs> exactly. so there is a lot of that so right, right. Right. Yeah. all right so Pretty. but let's move this up to the suburbs so cities are cities are well established there's a long history of of uh, what i call proto suburbs mm-hmm. Of people you know, moving out, commuting in. Okay, that I guess you could call that a suburb. But the suburbs that that we're talking about suburbs, modern suburbs that have a major impact on cities. Mm. Just so we can narrow down the scope of this, because it almost went back ten thousand years. Well, so oh, we, yeah, uh, or Longinus. Well, I mean, I, I remember, I remember those days when we, <laughs> when, we, when we were first building those cities and. Um, Mesopotamia. But, uh. <laughs> yes. So how about, uh, just give me some post-World War II Levittown, uh, just to get us into what we mean by the yeah. contemporary suburb. Well, the first thing, well, let me just give one one blanket statement. Okay. okay. That goes back probably to the 15th, uh, 16th, 17th century. Okay. And that is, is the modern city and the modern suburbs sort of grow up together. And they're all dependent upon the Industrial Revolution. So the Industrial Revolution yes. creates okay. a That's important. Yes. huge now it's change. Yes. Thank right. you. Okay. Now moving because. to the post-World War II well, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, let's, let's just stop, hang out on that just for a second. Okay. <laughs> so obviously, obviously the Industrial Revolution brought industry. Right. You know, so you had to have workers coming into industry. Correct. But wasn't there... Before the Industrial Revolution, what was the city built around? Was it built around a church? What was it? What was the, what was the draw into a city before the Industrial Revolution? Well, it was trade. Yeah, it was yeah. Right. Uh, Commerce, skilled yeah. workers. Right. So it was next to uh, a river. So this is where the barges could come in, right. that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And and of course you had the crafts and the trades and, yeah. and the skilled workers. You would need somebody to make a shoe. And, yeah. You know, and they would you know. Probably measure your foot and do it that kind of way. And would be, right, so that would, was part know, of it. There would be a be a benefit of having that all all of these people concentrated 
rather than sprawled right. out. But the concentration it. was not like it was the Industrial Revolution. Right, where you had where a, where a, hundreds a of factory, thousands. right. Yeah. You're talking, right. you know, maybe tens of thousands at the most in right. Paris. Yeah, there's a big difference what? between the cobbler on the corner who makes bespoke shoes and the right. factory that makes a thousand shoes. Or, or, or the factory that makes the things that are needed for World War II. Right. There right? you go. So right. those things come. Those things. Cities are growing as a result of the need for manufacturing. You've got right. cars. You've got right. It, it changes the way products are created and they're created in mass production. And if you got, you know, one huge shoe factory, you might have to rely on the pants factory three towns away. So all of a sudden, you know, the industrial revolution is also. A trade revolution itself. It's also a, a urban revolution. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a, a modern revolution. Right. It's the up, enlightenment. Up to, right. Up through. Right. right. So so there's a lot of growth during World mm-hmm. War II, and then how does it spread out of the cities after World War well, II? Well, right. So the post World War Twos differ because they're really based on the limited access highways. Think of the beltways, mm. right? Beltway in uh, 1952, the Beltway comes around Baltimore. Is starting to be well. There built. were there were no international. Or there were no interstate highways before. I mean, that was something that uh, 1956 was the, was the federal highway. Eisenhower, right? That was Eisenhower because he saw the great highways they had over in Europe, right? And he was like, when we, we he was in Europe you know, <laughs> yeah. fighting the Germans, he saw oh the Autobahn. That's that's how you get the tanks from here to right. there. Yeah, and, and the reason why you know, well, I won't say two primary, but two. Uh, uh, fundamental reasons why the limited access highway was created was because we wanted to evacuate cities if there was an atomic war mm-hmm. atomic explosion and we wanted to be able to move our military quickly right those were like two of the reasons why we spent 90 per, so know, not federal so, dollars not 90 percent of the federal high, of, of the limited access highways were, were what is limited access by. what do you mean limited access the, uh, the, the ramps. Just you, what it says is you, you have ramps to go on or ramps to go off, and there's but there are no light. stops. There, there, oh, there are no streetlights along okay. the way. Street lights, okay, right. right. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's it's your ninety fives, your two ninety fives. Right. So they so they build one out from New York City out to Long Island. Is that right? And that is that or or did Levittown come in? Give us give me some facts on Levittown. Uh, well. The second thing that really sort of expl- – well, there's, there's several things. Let me go back then and then we'll get to Levittown. second right. thing that really explodes uh, um, post-World War II suburban development is yeah. an assembly-like construction, which was ah. really sort of perfected by the Levitt ah, brothers. Right. And they were perfected. Ah, and they were the like, we, can, we can apply this to more things than just tanks. Right. We, well, right. And, and what the Levitt brothers were doing during World War II were building sort of these towns yeah. for the ah, military okay. when they were out there. Oh, how do we create barracks? You know, I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got to house 10,000 soldiers over here. So what are right. we going to do? Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Well, no problem. I can have it done by the end of the month. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. So with, they come home and like, in- this is no problem for Long Island. I'm going to take this pot- uh, potato field and I'm going to turn it into a... Um, Right. A residential suburban area. Mm-hmm. So he does that. But, uh, I see. You know, uh, the third thing that we have to really think about is the GI Bill. Mm. Right? Okay. But the GI Bill also came with uh, restrictions. Remember in uh, the WPA, uh, uh, um, uh, Roosevelt comes over and tries to put everybody to work. 
So he puts a bunch of folks to work and says, all right, if we're going to create a 30-year mortgage and if we're going to have the federal government have an insurance company that's going to insure these mortgages and that would allow banks to loan money to anybody who wants to buy a house, except for the, if they were black. Except um, You've got the technology to build cheap houses quickly. You have the money, money access to money, transportation, guys that uh, you know you feel have deserved it. So you know you're enthusiastic about this. Now, uh, so did they build the highway out there first, or did they build the neighborhood and then the highway to accommodate? More generally, the neighborhood followed the highway, but there were places where there was anticipation. Right. I mean, it's the same thing with the railroad. With with with, with uh-huh. towns yeah, in the west, sure. probably it's, yeah, a little it's, both. It's right? Same kind of same kind of thing. It's like, oh, we're going to build a town here, and then, and then we're going to make sure that the railroad goes through it. And some right. did it, and some did. Um, but yeah, um, but I think with Levittown, there are already plans. Remember, it's the federal government, it's the state government planning these limited access highways. How long does it take a government to do something? A long yeah. time. So it's like, oh, you know, back in 45, they were talking about building this big highway over here. And now they're like eight years in the planning. I think they're going to start in a few years. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead and build a suburban sub- subdivision out here because yeah. people, want, you know, will be able to come back and forth. So I think that's the, you know, that's the third thing. The, the, the other thing which is really interesting is if the federal government is going to insure your mortgage, the federal government wants to make sure that your house is going to be up to quality, that you can live in it, that you can even sell it in 20, 30 years. So they created minimum standards of what a house should look like, how big it should be, what it is. It makes sense, right? How can can you define – one of the things that comes up from time to time is if you're going to call something a bedroom – you know, what does that mean? What does right. that, what have does to have that mean? Right. If you're going to call something a bathroom, what does that mean? So, right. yeah, there have to or, be some kind of standards and, and, around. Right, and standards uh, in terms of all of the sockets have to be, right? right? There yeah. has to be a national standard for plugging things into the wall. Right. Right? Yeah. right? You can't just have every neighborhood having a different... Yeah, it's like, I want to buy a toaster. Well, what kind of a socket do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So, but, but what was really interesting so this is... All, is, this is all positive. Go ahead. Yeah. Is that... When you drive around this neighborhood, which is post World War II, I bet yes. it's nineteen fifties, right? Yeah, this house, this house is a fifty-two, fifty-three, fifty-two, fifty-three, mm-hmm. and the and I bet it. I mean, and you had a couple of additions placed on this house, right? So when you look, when you drive through the neighborhood, the houses look kind of unique. But you, when you think a little bit, you're like, all right, if I took off that, yeah, it's all starting from the same. Yeah, yes, yes, there was a time when every single house, right. so so was, so most they didn't of have the, dormers, right. and they, they, they add on the, the Kitchen and the right, yeah. I bet if we measured your your the original portion of your house, it would be seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred fifty square feet, okay. which was like the minimum standards. It was like the federal government said, if you want to, uh, if you want to, okay, federal insurance for this mortgage, it has to be seven hundred fifty thousand square feet, or I mean seven hundred fifty square feet or more. So, so mm. there became as a as the federal government tying the money. To the the builder, you ended up with a standard for the for, for what s- suburbia can look like, right? And that's where you get the Cape Cods, you get the uh, split levels, you get the the rancher houses, and you right. see well, they, that. Really basically, occur. if you're a builder and you've got some plot that you're going to develop, you don't want to have a hundred different models, right? 
you want to you want to have five three or four right? <laughs> yeah yeah and and Next, like, like we're, what, we're gonna what build would you these... think that your your neighborhood yeah I mean, my my, neighborhood. I, I think my neighborhood had one with like that one that I grew up in. I think all the houses well, where I grew up very big where I grew up in New Carrollton there there were there were maybe three or four and in in my current neighborhood which is much smaller than New Carrollton there there are, there are, you know three or four but yeah yeah. It's just there's a couple different models. There's the two level and there's the spit level and there's you know, it's just the way it goes. Right, the so other thing, right, so if you're building, right? If you're building, if you're buying, a person buys the lot, gets a builder, you build anything you want. But if you're coming in as a guy going, I'm buying up a, would you say, would you say a potato field? Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, you know 500 houses here, and everybody's yeah. gonna. You have... don't want every single one to be custom. Well, what's yeah. the about how? But the, how what was the idea? What, how did the idea come from? That we're not going to build townhouses. That every they're going to be detached, and it's, they're not going to be very big. You're going to have, I think that house I grew up in, yours too. I think that was an eighth of an acre. Does that sound right? No, my my parents' house was a quarter acre. Yeah. A quarter acre. Yeah. Okay, so between a quarter and an eighth would be like a man's. That's you know, your area. The front yeah. yard, the backyard, and detached from your neighbors. Would right. did that. Yeah, where the, where do we go? From, where do we go of... from from townhouses, row houses to detached houses? So right, so of course there were the, there were always detached houses when there were row houses and you know uh, uh, attached houses. Right. But I think that that you there's a couple things about it. It it it, it is the suburban ideal. It's like the, the suburban myth. I want my little castle on on yep. a plot of land. Right. So. That plays into a little bit. So there's a striving to do that. But there's also the federal government regulations that say that detached houses are better for human beings. That, that, that if, you know, um, you know as, as William Levitt said himself, he said, you know, uh, an American can't become a communist if he owns his own home. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> too much pretty to solid. Do. There you go. Yeah, there's but too much to there do. Is the, but, the, but British homes often... The front door was right on the sidewalk, but the garden in the back yeah, was right. where was where the action was. Right. So, but we decided, you know, to move the house back away. I mean, like th- this house here. What is what is it? Ten steps, ten strides to, to the sidewalk. But you just wanted to be off the sidewalk. Right. There's a bad answer, and then there's a there's there's a better answer. Okay. <laughs> and, and and they both. The bad answer is there's been. Dozens of uh, dozens of books written on why we pre- why we preferred that at that time in history. Okay, the better answer or the answer that makes more sense is zoning, because once you start to get into the nineteen teens, the nineteen twenties, you start to see this thing called zoning. What zoning does, it regulates two things. It regulate well, may- maybe we should say three things. It regulates the use. It regulates the bulk which is like how big can it be how small can it be what's the minimum maximum requirements what's the floor to area ratio and then there is the setbacks it has to be set back from the street 25 feet it has to be well which makes sense because we want driveways yeah, so you're already so you need that in front of your house. Well, you might as well set the house back there. But too, you know, right? but you know, my, my grandfather's house was in D.C. and they had a driveway, but the house was right up on the on the street. So you can have a driveway that goes next to the house. Wait, well, so you're but you're you're, you're right. then you're then you're not touching your neighbor's house. Well, maybe for okay, a, true, yeah, yeah. Right. 
maybe for another uh, uh, talk, uh, the history of the front lawn is. is, is, is <laughs> see, you know, I would. Well, I, I mean, like with you, Lawn Giants, we could do the history of the driveway <laughs> for I know. 45 minutes. I, I, I like the idea, personally, of the house coming all the way up to the road, and then you have a backyard that's a bigger backyard. Like, if I were to take my lot and, or my well, house. How about in an alley where you can park back there? Yeah, exactly. So, so if, if I were to take my house and move it up to the sidewalk on, in, on my lot, right. I would have a bigger backyard, which would be more serviceable. I could do more with that land. And then you then, park your like, car what's back the, there. What's the point of this little bit in the front and this other part? <laughs> that's, that's well, I'll tell you what the point was in, in, in history. The point right. was is the backyard was always used for the, I won't say nefarious uses, but for the... <laughs> less popular the things uses, that you didn't want your neighbors to know the, about <laughs> well, well chicken what the outhouse the chickens right. the I trash see. i see uh and and you know it wasn't that you would go out there and have a barbecue in the backyard right where you see your swap you out your the window <laughs> right. the other thing about the front okay. yard which is really important is if you take your neighbor's front yard plus your front yard plus everybody's front yard on your block on your street right it's like a get? park it's like a park. Yeah, it's exactly. beautiful. As long and, as everybody's and, and, keeping up with the proper Joneses, is not letting right. you know, have some. There's a concept called ruse and herb, which means that you put the rural into the urban area. That's when you create urban gardens. Hmm. But the suburbs sort of switches it and says that you put the house in the park. Hmm. It's it's the park like setting becomes the predominant characteristic. Yeah, because you've got right, that now house. You, now you've, you've else. right. You've you've set up the beauty and the, the of this glorious suburb that I grew up in and enjoyed, and John Cheever talks about. And uh, but let's move. Let's take one step further. And how does it hurt this? How did it and how does it hurt cities? All right. Yeah. Let me. Uh, all right. I can. Well, let's just say, you know, when we first started to get the suburbs, the first suburbs were concentrated on residential. And then, of course, if you got a bunch of people living together, they, they need a place to worship. And after you get that, well, they need a place to shop. After that, well, you know, industry needs to come over and do that. So all of a sudden you have industry and then you have office space. So by the 60s or 70s, 1960s or 70s, you start to see that the suburban areas are actually building all of the components that we would say would be urban office parks, yeah. Yeah, office yeah. parks, industrial parks, malls, malls, strip malls, and they're all around. And because you do that, what happens is the I see. So hold on, hold on, just one second. So before that, you were just living out there. And then taking your train or whatever back to the city to do all your other stuff, and then, and now you're sucking out the S- shopping, S- some of the, the jobs, exactly. some of the commerce. Exactly. You're sucking out some of the commerce from the city. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Well, it, so right. it wasn't so. So it wasn't originally. It wasn't uh, such a drain on cities. It was just people not living there. But That's then, right. go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it. It wasn't that. I mean, you start to see, well, I'm talking about Baltimore because I know Baltimore. You know, but Baltimore reaches its sample for all of them. You start to see these these things going on, and you start to see the residential folks leaving Baltimore in the 1930s. You start to see downtown Baltimore losing its population. What was, what was uh, Baltimore's peak population? When and how was, big? 1951 million. 1951 million. Right. 
But by shut 19, up. Right, but 1930, right. you start to see the downtown area, the older parts of the area, you lose population pretty quickly. I see. So by and then you have this this disruption called World War Two. You have the wartime. So they're moving um, out of downtown, but they're still within city limits. They're, so so they're not right. So so maybe down, but the so, so the city proper isn't losing right. population. Nineteen eighteen is the annexation. By the way, the annexation was a good thing for. What do everybody. you mean the annexation? What are you talking about? Nineteen eighteen, Baltimore goes from. Uh, 30 square miles to 90 square miles. Oh, okay. And they made they made a deal with Baltimore County and said, we won't do this anymore. <laughs> sure. Which, <laughs> you can always believe the government. Yeah, right. Just ask an Indian. Right, right because but we'll only be in power for four years. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but it has held, so. Right, right. right. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, they put it, they put it in the law, and I don't think it, it, it can be stopped. But if you were living in the annex area, you're like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. The city's giving me a tax credit. Yeah. They're uh, not going to raise my taxes to city uh, uh, prices until 30 years from get now. Get city services. But I get, yeah, I get sidewalks. I get uh, trash removal. Water, municipal yeah. concerts. Right. Yeah. I get uh, athletic leads. I get, you know, right, garbage pickup. I get all of the urban services that people want. Down. That's why I, you're not I, living know, downtown anymore. Right. But uh, that's why I always define a, a, a suburban area as it's the mixing of urban nouns and suburban adjectives. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to promote that in the scholarly world. TM. All right. So, so when so, oh, all right. So again, everything's going pretty good. Right. When so now it starts to starts to fall apart. Drain right. on the city. Yeah. Part, let me let me let me ask you this question because when you talk, when you talk about uh, tax base, drawing tax base for infrastructure, cities like Baltimore, and so we live, we're here here we are in Baltimore and Washington. They're not in a county, so they are their own thing. Right. Now. But there are other, I don't know, Milwaukee or something like that. So when they're when they're expanding out, they're part of a county. Mm-hmm. That county money, the infrastructure to build these suburbs that was going to be a part of Milwaukee proper right. is now being spent in the suburbs. Now, like I said, Baltimore is not in right. a county. But Cook County, and, you know, uh, Chicago and King right. Counties, Seattle, they are in a county. And I can see how... The expansion of the suburbs would suck resources right. out of and, the city. Right, and some jurisdictions dealt with there's, 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 there's a couple of ways that they dealt with it, but some jurisdictions dealt with it saying, hey, you know, your, your city's in the county, therefore those tax revenues are all shared together. There are what we call elastic and inelastic cities. And inelastic city is a Baltimore, is a New York City, is a Washington D.C. where those but boundaries are yeah. going to change. Right. And Houston is an elastic <laughs> yeah. city, which is it just now keeps sucking up like, territory. Right. They're or, almost like a thousand square like, miles. It doesn't even look like a city. When you look, it's exactly. like Dallas, Fort Worth. Sooner or later, they're going to be the same city. That's right. Jacksonville, right. kind of like that. Right. right. And those are all the newer cities, based on zoning, based on sort of. The limited access highways, ba- based on the automobile. The automo- 
the automobile changes everything. If you want to sound smart, you always want to ask about the parking. You always want to ask about the automobile. Hold on. Let's, uh, so let's go back to the, well, not all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, but to <laughs> manufacturing. Let's get up to the 60s and 70s. Right. So when you, right, so when you lose, so if a city is built, Detroit, when a city is built around manufacturing and that manufacturing leads, there's no substitute for that. Absolutely none. And usually when the manufacturer leaves, you know... So the hold, 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 just one, one second. This is, this is the part of the show where I'm talking about the demise of the cities, not blaming it. Are we, are we done blaming the damage to cities on suburbs before we move to other reasons for the demise of cities? No, I think that there's a lot of reasons. Well, well, how do suburbs I wouldn't hurt, hurt cities? How do suburbs hurt cities? All right. Population loss, right? Okay, it takes yeah. away the and it takes away the tax base. Right. There's also the segregation of class and race. Yeah. And that's done by different zoning out in the county, where you got bigger houses that that uh, bigger and wealthier houses are the only ones being built and only accessible by car. And right. and remember, there was also deed covenants. Remember. Supreme Court comes in 1948, and it says, it makes a statement, it says it's legally unenforceable that neighborhood associations can actively prevent a resident of color from moving in. So what it does... Which means that before that it was okay. Right. Yeah. Well, well, in the deed covenants, right? Okay. Because yeah. most of these subdivisions had deed covenants that said blacks can't live here. Yeah. 1948, it says 48? it's unenforceable. 48. It says unenforceable. It's only until 68 where it says it's illegal for me not to sell to you because of the color of your skin. Hmm. Oh, all right. So that's 68. 20 years. If you look at 68, Nixon didn't set up any sort of civil rights thing to try to implement that law. So you only get that law implemented by the the Carter administration. so so, So this makes the suburbs more attractive to... White people with money. Right. Well, right. Well, white right. people that had the money to leave. White people that didn't think that they should live with blacks. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, right. So there's so so there's a a white professional class, which is sucked out of the cities or sucks itself out. Of the cities. Right. Didn't right. Mean to say that, but you know, draws so, draws out of the city. So withdraws, and so that so right. So there's there's that uh, tax base, and you know urban clientele that is moving out because of so what's left is really there is there's poor and poorer people you're you're leaving behind you're leaving behind the people who don't have the money to leave right yeah don't have the money or the the don't have a place to go right Right. yeah yeah yeah, right they 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 can't follow though all right so so i I just love this this uh, uh 1940 which is, you know, Baldwin was probably 800,000 or so. Uh, one-fifth of the population was black, but they lived on one-fiftieth of the land. Huh. Right. So they were just sort right. of really in there. So that's like huge concentration of poverty, if you think that most black people did not have the ability to get the jobs that were out there to pay. Um, so jobs are moving out. So, so 
And so, so, but but yeah. also you get the the leaving of the commercial centers. You get the creation of your strip malls, your creation of your indoor malls, your region, which is your indoor local malls, your indoor regional malls, and then you get the industrial parks that are being created. And this is this is phenomenal. Between 1950 and 1990, approximately 90% of Baltimore's uh, industry leaves. Wow. Most of it doesn't go south or across, overseas. Most of it goes over the county line. Wow. Over the city line. Huh. Uh, so you start to see that. And because there's a lack of good transportation. So like something like Domino Sugar. Did it did it leave the city and go into the suburbs or McCormick Spice or any of these other McCormick places? Spice did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they I mean they did it pretty yeah. late. They did it probably in the eighties. But uh, Domino's still has it's, it's their there. Because they are they are connected to the port. That's mm-hmm. why they oh, I see. leave. Right. Yeah. So even mm-hmm. though you have um, the port right now is mostly in Baltimore County. But then, so so, all right. So let's move up to up to just declining manufacturing. You have Sparrows Point, just as a point of re- point of reference. Uh, the steel industry in southeastern Baltimore, which anchored that whole community, uh, when that just in, and more broadly, Detroit steel and manufacturing getting the opportunity to well, first off, you're getting outcompeted by the cheap Japanese. Right? Remember, remember that was the thing. Before we get to the Chinese, right, right in the seventies, it was like a bunch of cheap Japanese junk, transistor radios, right. and we, we always, right. yeah, it's kind of like that scene in Back to the Future where uh, where Marty McFly goes back <laughs> and he's t- he's telling Doc Brown that you know, about here's this thing, and Doc Brown looks at it and goes, "Oh, no wonder it's no good. It's made in Japan." And and uh, he goes, <laughs> yeah. "What do you mean? All the good stuff's from Japan?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. So so. Uh, so we got undercut by Japan. Yeah. Later, I don't know, how, so how, how did they? Well, no, never mind. I'm already on it. How does a country with no natural resources, with no uh, that a country with no iron ore, can bring in iron ore, create steel at a better quality and cheaper than countries that have iron ore reserves in their country? Well, good for them, right? Right. Well, yeah. they're they're doing something smart doing and great, and whatever. Smart, right. Anyway, so so. You know, so that obviously killed cities that are that, that were built around. Like Flint, Michigan, had eighty thousand people working for GM. Eight thousand people work for GM now in the wow. same city. What are they going to do? I mean, it's not a, every right, city can true. turn around and go, "Oh, we're going to just replace that with a, a, a tech park." And, right. Yeah. Right. right. So a lot of cities just. What are you? What are you? What are you going to do? What are you, you going to replace it with? Well, we, well, we create the inner harbor. We create the promenade. We and and, and we create this uh, um, um, international festival marketplace, which is created yeah. by uh, James Rouse, which also yeah. created Columbia. Right. Um, and you know, so it's all right. So that not is not equal in value, but it is something. It is something, right? Re- re- reclaiming because nobody wanted to live by the water. We create a ballpark. We, next right, to we, the, nobody wanted to create live by live by the water because it was stinky and it was gross. Stinky, right. Right. And now and then he realized, wait a minute, that's where all the action is. So right. lots right. of cities have decided that this is going to be our, uh, you know, our, our residential not residential but you know, entertainment hub is going to be right here by the water. Right. So let me let me ask you. So uh, there's I saw this list of cities that are are dead. And may never come back, and it's a sad list. Oh, God. But how about you were in Pittsburgh not long ago, right? 
And this is a city that was built... The... Or Hello? steel. <laughs> right. Have you heard of the Steelers? Right, yeah. Yeah. And it is uh, doing fine, as I understand. So, it's, so it, it's... Yeah, there, it's, it's, there's great things happening. There's always great things and bad things happening. It's, it's, you just want greater things happening than worse things happening. Right? Uh, all right, so you had this period of manufacturing, leaving, cities dying... There was a bit of a 90s resurgence. I mean, it probably starts in the 80s. I mean, in, in, in Baltimore, you start to see this 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 urban revival coming Young along. hipsters. It's, it's, right, it's, right. It's based on, um, I would say historic preservation was a huge part of that. It's based on the idea of wanting to live in walkable neighborhoods. Remember, zoning separated all the uses. So when you lived in your little suburban enclave, you had to get in your car and drive to highs to get your milk, and right. you had to drive five miles to go to your saloon if there was one right. five miles away. Right. So that, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you know, I, I would rather live in a place where I could walk down right. the street. So and, uh, back to Baltimore as an as an example. So I moved into a section of Baltimore that was all old school. It was everybody there grew up there. You talk to the old people, and they could point to the house. The, the bar across the street from where I live, my neighbor said I was born in the apartment above that bar. Mm-hmm. There was all of that, so I was like the first. I was the first one in my in several blocks Good God, you're to be the new guy. I was the gentrifier. <laughs> then after that, one by one, every time some an older person, the kids yeah. had already moved to the county, it's so right. it's just the old people. So it's just the, it's mom and dad. When they then the prices peaked, they either they either died off, went to retirement homes, or or just saw the money. Right. And so my neighbor now then after thirty years, of course, I was the old guy. Like that guy, that guy's been here for thirty years. Uh, but this was a, this was a case where you you had that oh, everybody that moved in grew up in the suburbs, hmm. right. So this was this, this yeah, one exactly, exactly. This was that changeover right. of people right. going, "Hey, you know, that's something cool and exciting and hip." And now, what that what happens is the schools are so bad that they would come in as young as as young couples. Their kids would get to through kindergarten, and then they say, "Got to get out of here," and then, <laughs> and then they move out. Right. But then they cycle through. It's 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 so, at, it's it's at the it in Baltimore. It's at. When your kid, your oldest kid, gets to be in fifth grade, yeah, that's when you leave. That's when you leave, hmm. and it's like a percentage, like a, that's when it's like a thirty yeah. percent spike of people leaving, yeah. the, the, the public schools. So that's yeah, something so, to so, address, so, right? All right, but, all right so but, hold on. Well, you have something to say on this because I'm going to move it forward here. Right. I, well, I was just going to say. I mean, that's why I have one of my issues today is gentrification and anti gentrification advocates out there because. The, the issue isn't being talked about in a productive way to move Baltimore forward or any city forward. Right, right. All right, yeah, right. You have white people wanting to move into kind of a crappy neighborhood and fix it up. What's and, wrong with what's wrong yeah, with fixing up a neighborhood? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then they're and like, it, yeah, now I'm getting priced out of my own house. Yeah, because, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how you figure that out. Well, right, that's, that's what, uh, time's running out here. So, you have that sort of urban renewal, then you get COVID, you get uh, 5G, you get 
people working from home. Uh, you, you, you get George Floyd, you get defund the police, and so people are realizing two things. One, I can, I, I, I don't need to go to work because I'm doing, I'm, I'm driving to work to sit on my computer all day. Yeah. And now that we all have 5G, we the connections are so good, I could just do that from home. Yeah. Then you have the defund the police decided that making cities more dangerous is an equitable matter. Office buildings, the tenants, they're, they're not renewing their leases because there's everybody's a huge, working. There's, there's a huge commercial real estate crash coming. Yeah. With all oh, it's, it's, yeah. It, well, it's, it's, it's sort of already here. Yeah. And, right. So we had the, so what I'm saying is we had the, we had the fall of the city, a slight resurgence, and then right now it's being kicked in the Kenijis. Right. Well, well, that slight resurgence for like DC and New York is a huge resurgence, right? I yeah. mean, back in, uh, I read Brooklyn's full of hipsters and, you know, yeah. million-dollar townhouses. So why do we need cities anymore and, where people can right. work on well, their own? Well, yeah, so what, So where is the well, future? Well, that's that's the great example. Well, well let me just say about that. In, in the 2010s, I can't find the exact date because I can't remember it, but D.C. was gaining population at a rate of 3,000 residents per month. Wow. Nuts. It was nuts, exactly. It was, it was absolutely nuts. And that's where you get into your displacement or we, what we call gentrification issues. I call it displacement. I don't like, I, I won't use the word gentrification in a meeting. I will always use displacement. And because it, but that's and those where. Most people end up moving to the inner suburbs. Some of them do, right. And, and remember in Paris, you know, they never went through this. You know, this, the suburbs prior to the Industrial Revolution were always the ghetto, was always the poor areas because it was outside the wall. You were unprotected. It's still oh, the okay. same way in Paris. It's still <laughs> the same way in France. That's why France is such a great culture or such a so, weird culture. But so speaking of, so Pittsburgh, right? I think I already gave the answer away. Uh, what is the smallest city to have an NFL NFL franchise. Is it Pittsburgh? Right. right. So Pittsburgh is a small city. It's only it's only like 350, wow. 400,000 people. Uh, and you can right because you if, if you if you're wondering what are the biggest cities in any country, you just look at where are the football franchises, right? right you go, yeah. all right, well these are all these are all big. But so Pittsburgh has all within well, basketball, but they have uh, all the major sports. How hard it does seem hard to take a large city. <clears throat> A vibrant three hundred fifty thousand person city—that's plenty of people. Yeah. But if it used to be, it used to be much bigger. Then now you have all of these buildings, like Detroit. Oh, yeah. Detroit. What are you going to do? Right. What is it? What was Detroit? Knock the buildings down. A million people ten years ago, yeah. and it's half the size. Well, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, there's in planning parlance, there is the idea of right sizing. Yes, I, I, like, well, I like the term. And well, I, get the I, idea. I, I like it too, but I, I... I get the idea, but I don't know how practical it is. Right. Well, I, well, I don't know how practical it is. I don't know, it, it, you know, things change so quickly. Um, I, I can say because of COVID, because of the internet, because of your ability to uh, have professionals not working at home... That that has not actually, I think, uh, made suburbia more desirable, but it has made smaller towns. Small more towns more out, yeah. More uh, you have some, you have some small town out by the by the 
Bay or something, you know. Like, uh, why, why can't I just live out here? I'll, I'm just on my computer all the time. Right, right. Why, why do I need to be tw- 30 minutes from the city? Right. Or you're just a, still a three-minute walk to your pub, to your coffee shop, right. to yeah, exactly. your bike uh, uh, lane. And my to, boat. Right, yeah, exactly. And your boat. <laughs> so, it, it, it is interesting, but I still think that the thing that the that that urban areas have to sell and its biggest strength, well, there's two, well, I'll say two biggest strengths, is going to be it's a historic character and it's urban character. I don't. I think those will still always attract people. But the and problem, it, but, but, but if that urban character comes from all of those stores and shops that are open because of all of the business that is down there, right. so they, they make their, they make half their nut on, on people coming into for lunch and shopping after work and those people aren't there, then those businesses aren't there, then the urban appeal yeah. is gone. It's gone. D- I mean, DC, uh, DC is doing horribly right now because there aren't enough people coming into the city to work. So that means all the little Korean grocery stores, yeah, lunch, all the all the lunch, lunch places, meetings, all the all the um, food trucks, all that stuff gone. Well, because what that may do is devalue the uh, rents and devalue the, the property prices. And right. it, well, and then that may attract people to move there, yeah. which would yeah. again right. create that that yeah. excitement or or that urban excitement that you have. You see in Pigtown. And, and you know, oh, cool. I, get me started on Pigtown. Well, 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 Pigtown. You, I when I drive through it, I see a difference. I I see half a dozen houses being rehabbed. I see, and then I'll, all of a sudden, I see a brewery district being born, and that is going to be something that's going to be different. Now, it may be there may be the violence, there may be all of that stuff that goes on there, but. Um, yeah, well, there's, my, there's my also, son's car, he lives in Pigtown, my son's car has two bullet holes in it. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, so, so, but, so there's, but there's defund the police, there's no bail, which means criminals just get right back don't out. Police the there's, there's, well, there's still there's, bail in there. Baltimore. No, well, just, um, uh, yeah, no, no, I'm talking about the, the problem with cities, what I'm, that, that I'm seeing, that people, people don't want to live there anymore. And this is all, in this recent, this is all post- COVID slash George Floyd. That's that's one. That is one thing. Uh, the homelessness that there's the, the homeless advocates have been able to get through courts that you can't stop people from just sleeping anywhere they want, yeah. urinating where they want. Uh, it, it just has made well, you're talking made, quality made of life issues, and quality and, of and life and issues made, made cities undesirable. And, and I think yeah. right now we're in this. Are people going to turn around and say, "All right, we're." We have to make quality of life an issue, or just keep going. No, uh, equity is more important, and just keep driving people out of cities until it can't support itself and and they collapse. Well, I think I I think we're going to see the understanding of what equity means because I don't even know what it means. I don't think anybody knows what it means. No, it's a throwaway stupid word. It's a fuzzy word that's undefinable. But I think we'll see that evolve. But I think. I think that the city how is resilient enough to, to survive. I don't know how yeah. much worse it's going to get. I don't yeah. know if the Nadir is here or right. not. Well, that's, you're that's right. Kind the, of the, the quality of life issues. I just had a, a, a lunch with, with a colleague yesterday, and he, we were talking about the same thing. 
he was like, yeah, I went to my CVS uh, uh, this morning, and, and the windows are busted out. Right. There's plywood on them. You and you, know? and and you like, can't get into this. You have to have somebody with a key open up the cabinet to get, <laughs> yeah. to get your aspirin. He says he can't get anything without ringing the bell to get somebody to open up. Right. right. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah. I mean, right, so I mean, can say, well, yeah. I wanted to talk. Well, we'll do how to fix the suburbs. I do. Time, I, I do <laughs> have. I, I yeah. do know how it's all going to be resolved. Oh, good. Yeah. So you've heard. You've heard about the uh, the people coming and testifying before Congress about the UFOs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, pretty soon the Vulcans are going to arrive, <laughs> and, and they're going to. And they're, they're going to help clean us. Up. They're going to help us figure all this stuff out. And right. Yeah. So an advanced civilization will go. I can tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. Yes. And I, of course. Without Vulcan intelligence, I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, they're, but they're going to come in, and they're going to tell us, and they're going to clean it all up, and it'll all be great. Uh, right. Know, very soon. All right. Well, let's uh, let's not get let's not poop on the suburbs. Let's not lose faith on the cities. And I love it. thank you for a Star Trek reference. Right. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>